Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. This second article on Psalm 133 is from the LongmontMasons.org website, which is St. Vrain Masonic Lodge number 23, AFNAM, Longmont, Colorado, and is actually written by one of our own past grandmasters, John L. Cooper III. So this article is from June 2nd, 2016. It's called The Practice of Brotherhood. Behold how good and how pleasant. John L. Cooper, FPS, on the meaning of the 133rd Psalm in the first degree. Among the first things that an entered apprentice hears at his initiation into Freemasonry is the beautiful 133rd Psalm. This cryptic psalm is at once a challenge for us to enter into a profound mystery and a promise that if we do so, the results will be a life-changing experience. Let me share some thoughts with you about the 133rd Psalm. First, what it is not. This psalm makes no religious statement about our relationship to God. There is absolutely nothing in the psalm that implies a connection between dwelling together in unity and life forevermore. The relationship between God and man is the proper province of a man's own religion, and about that, Freemasonry purposely has nothing to say. It cannot be said too often. Freemasonry is not a religion and is not a substitute for religion. Let there be no mistake about this. While a belief in God is a prerequisite for a man to become a Mason, he must work out his own relationship with God outside the context of Freemasonry itself. We do not have a theology, we do not lead anyone to a relationship with his God, and we do not in any way ask a man to substitute his own understanding of God, as taught by his particular religious faith, for anything he will learn in Freemasonry. Freemasonry deals with our relationships with each other and the implications that such relationships have on our own lives and the lives of those we meet along the pathway of life. We insist that a man is responsible before his God for what he does with his life, but we ask each one to seek the important and eternal answers from his own religious faith. What then does the 133rd Psalm have to say to us Freemasons? It must have a meaning for us, or else it would not have such a prominent place at the beginning of our Masonic journey. What do we want an entered apprentice to know about the meaning of this beautiful psalm? And does that meaning have anything to say to us who have traveled far in our Masonic journey? I believe that it does, and let me share my reasons. The first and last stanzas of this psalm are connected, and when read together without the intervening stanza, which is merely an explanatory phrase, the purpose of the psalm stands out much more clearly. Let me read to you the first and last stanzas as one thought. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life, forevermore. In the Bible, and in particular the part of the Bible which Christians call the Old Testament, a blessing is a unique act of conferring a special power upon another. Usually it is thought of as a divine act, that is to say, God granting his blessing upon an individual or upon a people. But that is not the only usage. 
It was also a means of handing on power and authority from one generation to another. It was a way of guaranteeing the continuity of a community down through the ages. I believe that the Psalm 133 has this latter meaning for us Freemasons, rather than any religious significance, and a proper understanding of this can help each of us practice the teachings of Freemasonry in a more effective manner. The first stanza states the condition which will make the last stanza effective. Without the necessary condition of brethren dwelling together in unity, there will not be the necessary result of God's blessing. If the first condition is not met, the second action will not occur. If a Mason cannot understand the mystery of dwelling together in unity, he cannot expect the consequences of God's blessing upon what he does as a Mason. In simple terms, that is what we are telling the entered apprentice Mason when Psalm 133 is recited at his first step in Masonry. The lesson is a simple one, and yet one that will have profound implications. Much of what he will learn in the degrees of Masonry will explain to him how he can build the sense of brotherhood and unity within the Masonic fraternity. And much of what he will learn applies to those in the world at large who are not Masons, but who will also come within the reach of our understanding of brotherly love. But a blessing will not accompany it if he does not understand the necessary connection. What then is unity? That is the operational word in the first stanza. First, unity is not uniformity. Freemasonry does not expect a man to cease to think when he becomes a Mason. Quite the contrary. One of the surest proofs that Freemasonry is not a cult is that we insist that each man think for himself. Freemasonry is, by one definition, the search for truth, and each Mason is asked to work out the meaning of truth for himself. Secondly, unity is not conformity. Conformity means going along with the rest of the world. In fact, Freemasons have always been nonconformists. In an age when men and women hated each other because of differing religious beliefs, Freemasonry insisted on acceptance and understanding as the foundation for a worldwide brotherhood. In an age when social rank and power determined a man's stations in life, Freemasonry insisted that we were all created equal, and that each person should have an opportunity to be all that he or she could be, based upon merit and not upon title and wealth. And in an age when someone knew the truth and enforced it upon others with the point of a sword, Freemasonry insisted that truth would emerge on its own if we were just patient enough in seeking it. What then is the unity which confers such a blessing? I would suggest that it is the same thing as seeking the good of others around us. If I am seeking what is good for you rather than what is good for me, I have transformed our relationship from one of selfishness into one of selflessness. The bond that holds us together is strengthened when we seek good for each other before seeking good for ourselves. And the practice of this brotherhood, for such it truly is, shapes our attitudes in all our relationships. If I can make the practice of brotherhood the standard of my daily life, then all my relationships are transformed. My relationship with my wife and my children is transformed. My relationship with my fellow workers is transformed. My relationship with my community is transformed, and my life has suddenly become a blessing for those around me, a means by which God can bless others. Listen again to the words of this beautiful psalm, but listen with this new understanding. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. This is a life-giving promise, not in a religious sense, but in a human sense. Freemasonry tells us that if we live our lives as if others were more important than we ourselves are, that our lives will be enriched by a blessing we could not otherwise know. 
It is a great mystery, and it was first taught to us when we became entered apprentice masons. And through the years, if we have properly understood it, that mystery has grown in grace and in power until it shapes and blesses us every day and in everything we do. John L. Cooper III, FPS, is the Grand Master of the Grand Lodge Free and Accepted Masons of California and the first Vice President of the Philolathes Society. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So every mason, from the entered apprentice on up, should know that psalm. So that's Psalm 133. And uh, the article we're going to talk about today is Psalm 133, Analysis and Interpretation by Brother Antonio Guillermo de Paiva, 33rd degree, of the Grand Masonic Lodges of Minas Gerais, Brazil. So I'm going to skip the first part of his article. It's very long very detailed, but the first part kind of goes into the history of the Bible and how it was written, uh, and it talks about uh, the Ark and the garments of Aaron and several other things. And I'm going to go down to the interpretive analysis. So this article can be found in the show notes, the link to it. It's from a website. And the other thing is, is if you happen to go to the website and follow along, you'll find that what I'm going to be reading isn't exactly what's on the website, because this article is a translation into English. And as I'm kind of reading it ahead of time, it doesn't flow very well, so grammatically. So I'm having to kind of tweak it a little bit and maybe change the wording to where it makes more sense. And hopefully I'm still catching the intent of the author. So sit back, relax, and enjoy an interpretive analysis of Psalm 133. It is necessary to keep in mind that everything that is written suffers the influence of the time in which the act of writing happens. As this work consists of the analysis of one of the Psalms, and since the Psalm is part of the Bible, it is necessary to remember that the Bible was written more than 2,000 years ago. Making use of the words of Pius XII, that Pope, when referring to the Bible, expressed as follows. In reading the old author's written words, which are different from the words that contemporary writers use, it is not frequently clear what is the literal sense. So it's indispensable that the interpreter mentally goes back to those ancient times to try to see clearly what exactly the original authors wanted to use and did use. Because the ancient writers, in order to express what they had in mind, didn't always use the same forms and manners of saying that we use today, but in the contrary, they used ways of saying things that ran among the men of their time and their nation. The form usually used in the poetry of the Psalms is called parallelism. That is, the repetition of an idea with different words in the same line or in the following lines. In other words, it is a repetition of ideas from verse to verse. That parallelism, in its several forms, and with the wealthiness of comparisons, is what gives grace and beauty to the Hebraic poetry. It will be under this perception that we will try to make the analysis of Psalm 133 denominated the Psalm of the Concordance or the Psalm of the Fraternity. 
The authorship of the psalm is attributed to David, in which he exalts the gracefulness of the fact of being brothers together in harmony. It must have been written and sung with the sound of a psaltery by the occasion of the party of the tabernacle, when the Israelites used to go to Zion or Jerusalem in order to pray in the temple. David, when taking the Ark of the Covenant to his city, also organized a religious service there. With that, it didn't delay the flowing of Israelites to that place in order to adore Yahweh the Lord. It is important to register that before the construction of Solomon's temple, that would shelter the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark remained in the tabernacle in the city of David, or in other words, Zion. The tabernacle was the temple of the Israelites and the religious center of the Hebraic nation. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The first sentence is David's song for the coming together of the pilgrims that spend the day gathered in the great esplanade of the temple. People from all over Israel that hardly know each other, coming from all areas, congregate there as brothers and sisters, as members of a great family of the same nation, that live under a deep happiness and adoring of the one and only God, Yahweh, or Jehovah. Transporting the image to present day, just look around your lodges. If your lodge is anything like ours, you have men of every race, creed, color, religion, background, and everybody gets along regardless of what they do, who they are, or where they come one, because we're brothers and we live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head. In the Bible, in Leviticus 8.12, we find an allusion to that passage which says, He poured some of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him so as to sanctify him. The oil was a kind of myrrh and olive-based perfume only used to anoint the kings and priests, as we conclude by reading Exodus 28.15. The verb to pour, conjugated in the past poured, means that he gushed without parsimony, without reservation, the oil on the head, and so abundant the oil was that it went down on his beard, and then the illusion, and which goes down on the beard, the, bear, the beard of Aaron. In the Vulgate Bible translation, head is understood as the ear, the vision, the palate, the sense of smell, and the hands or the tactile sense. Therefore, the forehead or the head also means the five senses and the poured oil means the purification of the same ones. Brother Minoru Tamura from August and Respectable Symbolic Lodge, Ferraz de Vasconcelos, Orient of Sao Paulo, referring to this verse, tells us, the scene presented by the psalmist about the unction of Aaron contains a majestic symbology. The head is the emblem, the vital center of the existence. The beard is the emblem of honor, because in antiquity it always expressed honorability and probity, mainly in the East, by reason of the old traditions. The garments are the emblem of the honesty and chastity, and of special liturgical ritualistic meaning. And that goes down to the border of his garments. Yet Brother Francisco Luis Nancy gives, by analyzing this psalm, a very interesting interpretation where he says that in a mystic and esoteric sense, our own physical body lives together with several other bodies of subtle nature, through which our divine particle, our inner God, shows himself in his multiple personalities to diffuse his force and his will in us. In the works of Masonic Lodges, he says, when we are all united, harmonized, and concentrated, that precious oil comes to our heads and infuses us gradually with a divine energy. The garments represent our physical body, our external parts. 
He concludes his reasoning saying that the precious oil or divine energy before flooding our garments, our body, pours itself on our head and beard, receiver of the manifestations coming from the presence of God, to the border of our garments, which are the emanations that they are distributed by all our body. It is like the dew of Hermon. Israel makes boundary to the north with Lebanon and to the west with Syria. Mount Hermon marks the boundaries among those countries. Because of its height of 2,814 meters, its peaks are permanently covered with snow. In the desert regions, the evaporation of the humidity concentrates on the mountains and comes back during the night under the form of dew, suppressing by this way the lack of rain and providing the conditions for a good crop, and giving with that the conditions for the fixation of man in the area. On the other hand, the thaw of Mount Hermon snow is a source of alimentation for the Jordan River, which supplies the area, ir irrigating the Palestinian soil, bringing with that the food or blessings for the people, bread to be eaten. Mount Hermon, in the vision of David, by means of its dew, is a sign of life. And as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, Mount Zion is approximately 800 meters high. And in Psalms 87.2 and 51.18, and 179 more times, Jerusalem is called Zion. In Psalm 125, parts 1 and 2, there's a beautiful reference to this respect, as one can read. The ones that trust the Lord are like Mount Zion that is not affected, but remains forever. As the hills persist around Jerusalem, like this the Lord stays around his people, from now and forever. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life, forevermore. David, when conquering the fortress of Zion, transported to the same fortress the Ark of the Covenant and built for it a tabernacle. Since then, Zion became the city of the Lord, a place of his dwelling, a place for his rest. From Psalm 132, parts 13 and 14, This is my rest forever. Here I will inhabit, for I wanted it. With the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, Zion became the religious capital of the Israelites, a holy place, sacred, as it is inferred from the reading of Psalm 135, 21, that tells us, Blessed be the Lord from Zion that inhabits Jerusalem. David compares the oil descending on the head of Aaron with the dew descending on Zion. Aaron is the supreme priest, the religious chief of the Israeli nation. He is the spiritual head of the Hebrew people, in the same way that Zion is the spiritual capital of Israel. The first image purifies, consecrates the priest for the service of the Lord, making Aaron a man, pure, fair, and perfect for his priestly functions. In the second image, the dew of Zion is the water that, besides purifying, makes possible the life around Jerusalem. It is like the oil or the water falling on Aaron or Jerusalem, because there, in Zion, Yahweh the Lord had ordered his blessing forever, which was the Ark of the Covenant. The fact of the pilgrims being in that place, gathered together, made possible that the blessing, besides purifying, went down for all. This, to David, is something concrete. It shows itself in the nature, in the oil, in the dew, in the rains, in Jordan's river waters which irrigate the land and make it fertile, making possible the ownership of the promised land. David uses practical language to show that Zion is the religious center of Israel because that was the place the Lord had chosen for his home. There's a little bit more to this article where he goes into a conclusion and kind of summarizes some of the parts which I skipped over, um, as well as what we read. But uh, if you're interested, again, the, 
link to the article will be in the show notes and it's pretty in-depth and there's a lot of good stuff in here but i really wanted to focus mainly on the psalm and the interpretation of the psalm so stick around we're going to have at least one more article kind of going over the same thing maybe from a different point of view thanks thank you for listening if you like what you heard please subscribe and leave us a comment We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.